Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. going to be wrapping up our theme of getting out of the boat today and we're going to talk about what would it look like to cast your net one more time but this time to do it with Jesus. You know when we think about fishing I think about fishing for my own family. This is about the extent of it. Um, it's a game my kids especially like. The fish are always biting. They're all clustered in one little area. I'm guaranteed to catch something so I think this service I want green. Mm. Actually, it's, there we go, I'll settle for red. But anyways, real fishing is not quite like that. And so uh, I took my son Luke out and we went to a little pond nearby. And uh, he was surprised that just because you put a hook in the water, fish don't bite. You know, just a shiny hook, no one's interested in that. And so he thought, well, we'll start throwing rocks in. Maybe that will help get some fish. And uh, that didn't help either. And then after about an hour, we kind of gave up, looked at each other like, it's not supposed to be this hard, is it? Fishing is not supposed to be this hard. 
Maybe some of you could relate to that sediment that you feel like you've been fishing for a long time and it's not been in a pond, but it's been fishing in your life and mine. We've all been commissioned to individual fishing expeditions. It's the marriage that you're in. Uh, it's the ministry that God's compelled you to serve in. It's the business that you work at. It's the parenting of your children. It's some area of your life where you're investing some of your time, some of your energy, some of your effort. You're putting in your passion, your creativity, your ambition, your ideas. And honestly, this Sunday morning, you're a little bit discouraged because you've been fishing and fishing, but it feels like you're coming up empty-handed and you're putting in more energy than what you're getting back in return. And so after you've been fishing, it just feels like a fishing trip gone bad. We're going to pick up with our friend Simon Peter, and we're going to read about his bad fishing trip. And I think we can pull out a lot of great insights for this year. The difference between living a life of futility and, and fruitlessness versus one that has great fruit with God. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 5, verse 1. I think this is going to be really encouraging for the fishermen in the room, but anyone who feels like you put in a lot of effort and maybe not seen a return. Luke 5.1 says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And so let's start with these two verses because here we get to meet Simon the exact same way that Jesus met Simon on this occasion with a large crowd gathered around him. Simon has already been fishing all night long. He's fishing on the Sea of Galilee and this is a body of water he would have been well familiar with. He would have known really every part of the lake. And the lake is not big by Wisconsin standards and so Lake Winnebago is the largest lake in Wisconsin, and so the Sea of Galilee is only one-third the size of Lake Winnebago. Some of you have cabins on Lake Winnebago. Now, if you're not familiar with how big Lake Winnebago is, it's roughly about three times the size of the Sea of Galilee. So, Simon, he is discouraged. He is disappointed. He's irritated. He is upset because he's putting all this time and energy into this fishing trip, but it has yielded no benefit. He has nothing to show for it. And when Jesus sees him on this occasion, Simon has already abandoned his boat. He's already given up on that which represents his discouragement and his irritation. He's abandoned the boat, and Luke wants to make sure we understand the full picture of what's happening. When Jesus spotted Simon, it says there were great crowds surrounding him. And he uses those words, great crowds, because he wants us to know this wasn't a couple dozen, this wasn't a couple hundred, there were likely thousands of people around Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, there would be crowds that would amass. Everyone didn't believe who he said he was, they weren't sure about his claims of Messiah, but the one thing they did know is when people were around Jesus, blind people could see. They knew that deaf ears could hear, that the lame could walk, and even the dead were raised back to life. They knew that every time Jesus opened his mouth, there was an awe, there was an authority in his words like nothing else they'd ever heard. 
And they had heard great teaching from the religious leaders of their day, but they never heard anything like this. And so everywhere Jesus went, the crowd came, and they brought with them their ailments and their needs. They brought with them their health issues. They brought the discouraged, the downtrodden. They brought financial issues. They wanted to get as close as they possibly could to Jesus. And so Luke wants you to understand this is not some sedate crowd. This is not chill on the hill. This isn't jazz in the park. This is not a calm group of people listening to the word of God. These people were with Jesus and pushing into Jesus because they understood what he could do for them. And so they're a clamoring, chaotic group of people. People pressing in on Jesus. They backed him up to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. Every direction vying for his attention, shouting, elbowing their way through the crowd. In verse 2, it says, He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. In the midst of all this, Jesus sees one man who had a bad night fishing. I want you to think how you would feel if you were in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all these people vying for the attention of Jesus, and Jesus saw you. I've got good news for you today, Discover. Doesn't matter how big the crowd gets. Doesn't matter how many other ailments that God is dealing with. How many other prayers are being lifted up to him. No matter how many other needs he has to contend with, we serve a God who sees you and your fishing trip is not lost on him. Your mom might not know. Your dad might not know. Your spouse may not be aware that as you turn in bed that there's a tear that comes down. Every single tear that you have cried, every bead of sweat that is formed as your brow, as you try to figure out what's going on in your family or in your business, you need to know is noticed by God. He cares about you. And he knows everything that concerns you. And so he saw Simon and he also sees you. You are not lost in the crowd. You need to know in the midst of it all that God sees the collective, but he also sees the individual. He sees you. You are seen and known and cared for. And never in a million years should that become casual or blasé fair to us. Never should we contemplate that fundamental truth of our faith and just roll off like it is nothing. God has all sorts of important things that he needs to be doing, and yet he cares about my 24 hours a day. He cares what's happening in my mind and my heart. He cares about my job and my ministry. He cares about my family. He cares about what breaks my heart. He cares about the details of my life. Let a God that great would care for someone like me should never be casual because God is God after all. And he's got big things to do. And so just imagine that for a moment. The God of all the universe who hangs the stars in place has his eyes on you. That's beautiful. If you feel unseen in your sphere of influence, I want you to know God has his eye on you. He sees Simon in this passage, and because he does, confidently we can say God sees us as well. The book of Luke provides lots of detail, 
And he wants us to know that when Simon got out of the boat, Jesus saw him doing something very specific. Him and the fellow fishermen, they are washing their nets. Now, if we didn't think that Simon had given up by now just because he had abandoned the boat, now we really know he's done. He's fed up. He is finished. You'll often hear people giving Simon a hard time. You know, maybe he threw in the towel too quickly. You know, maybe he abandoned the boat. He should have stayed with the boat. He should have cast his net a few more times. You never know what could have happened. And there is one person in this story who sees exactly what Simon is doing. Simon is washing his net, but doesn't say one negative word to him. And that person is Jesus. Jesus sees exactly what's going on, says not one negative word, there's no scold, there's no rebuke, and maybe this is partly why. If I had been fishing all night and I had caught nothing, I'm not sure I'd be washing my net. I think I'd rather burn the net or stuff it into the teen challenge bin in the parking lot. I would not be trying to wash the net because washing the net means, yes, I'm done for the day, but I'm going to pick this thing up and I'm going to use it at some point in the future. I was talking with someone recently and they're explaining some of the challenges that they're facing in home and they said, you know, I just don't think I can come to church and I can't sit there and pretend like I'm perfect. I can't raise my hands and say, look at me. I said, that's not why we come to church. We're coming to church because we're asking God to intervene. We're asking God to help. You see, often we're bringing in nets on a Sunday that are torn and tattered by family concerns, health concerns, jobs, serving. We bring them into this sanctuary and we wash our nets and we allow God to tend our nets so we can take those nets back out to where God has commissioned us to go. And I also want you to know that it is fishermen, plural, who are washing their nets. Nets were large and there were weights around the edges of them and that's how the nets would sink and therefore catch the fish. So it is a heavy net and it's made heavier with weights and fishing was never meant to be a one-man job. It was meant for several fishermen and always in scripture, you see fishermen, plural, doing the work of fishing and washing their nets because it was never meant to be a solo sport. When you are born into the family of God, you are not born into an only child situation. You're born into a family, and family sticks up for each other, and family helps each other, and we need each other maybe more than you realize. And so Simon, he's washing his net. Jesus sees it happening. And verse 3 says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asks Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And so notice that Simon gets out of the boat and then Jesus gets into the boat. Jesus gets into that thing that is so disappointing, so frustrating, so overwhelming that all Simon wants to do is just push it aside, get out of it. And Jesus comes, he's looking for a place to stand so he can proclaim the word to the masses and he sees that abandoned boat, the circumstances of Simon's experience. 
and he gets into it and he proclaims the word of God through Simon's experience. And so what does this tell us? This tells us not only does God see you, God will use the parts of your life you think are useless. That abandoned boat circumstance of your life, that portion of your journey, you wonder how can anything good come out of that? It's so empty. It's so dry. I have been fishing all night and I've caught nothing. That empty platform of your life is preparing itself for the feet of Jesus to come and stand and declare his power not only to you, but the people who are around you in your sphere of influence who are watching you every day. God will use the part of your life that you think is useless. That portion of the journey, again, you feel like nothing good can come from it. A marriage that is hanging on by a thread, you keep investing. That child that is off the rails, making decisions that break your heart, you keep investing, investing. That place of serving that feels fledgling, you wonder if anyone is getting it. You're making a difference. That job you would have thought by now that promotion would have come, and it hasn't. You've been fishing and fishing, and now it seems like an empty platform. You cannot catch anything, and you feel like it's all been a waste of time. I've got good news for you. God is a master of taking the things that seem useless in our life and bringing use to them for his glory and for your good. Beyond that, God is sovereign. And sovereign means that God has stood before time. He has seen the entire spectrum of history. He has existed before Genesis 1, and he's beyond the end of time, which we have not seen. Sovereignty means he holds it all in the palms of his hands. Sovereignty means that nothing surprises God. Nothing slips past God. And so let's apply the sovereignty of God now to what we've just read. Simon is out fishing all night and he's catching nothing. He keeps throwing out the net and nothing and nothing. And he becomes shocked and in disbelief when again and again it comes up empty. For the life of him, he can't comprehend this situation, this fishing trip gone bad. And even though Simon didn't understand it, Jesus, in his sovereignty, understood something Simon couldn't in his humanity. Jesus knew that there was going to be a certain morning. And that certain morning, there would be a huge crowd that had gathered. And that morning, he would need to find a place where he could stand and position himself so that his voice could be amplified, so that those in the very front row and those in the far back could all hear every life-giving word that was going to come from his mouth. Jesus knew that in his sovereignty, if Simon had caught all those fish, that the deck of that boat would be filled with flipping, flopping, slimy fish, and there'd be no room for his feet. And so Jesus, in his sovereignty, allows for Simon to go out and fish and to catch nothing for the purpose of leaving room for him. I want you to know that sometimes God, in his sovereignty, he'll put you in a scenario where it feels like your skill will not be enough. Your talent is not going to cover it. 
You can't write a check to fix the problem. The diplomas on the wall will not cut it this time. Your connections, your abilities. He puts you specifically in a scenario where you will fish, you'll give it your all, but you're still going to come up empty-handed. And it's a difficult place for us to be in. But he knows if we're capable of filling our own boats with fish, there will never be room for his feet in our lives. And so in his sovereignty, God will allow empty nets. Nest, nets. It makes us uncomfortable. But in that discomfort, it is an opportunity. It's a great gift to see what happens when Jesus plants his feet on the deck of our lives. He'll use the part of your life that you think is useless. He'll make a miracle out of a mess. He'll turn what seems totally bad into good for his glory. We might impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And so when that coworker, that neighbor, they can see up close the circumstance of emptiness in your life, and then what it looks like when Jesus stepped into that and turned it around. That is beautiful and that is powerful. They should be looking at our lives and asking, how did that happen? That we're not just talking about how great Jesus is, but people can see how great Jesus is as they look at our lives. And so he sees you, and he'll use the parts of your life that you feel are useless. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we have worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. That's a lot of fish. You know, when we take groups to Israel, we see the Galilee boat. And the average fishing boat of this time was seven and a half feet wide and 27 feet long and was capable of holding two tons of fish. So now we have two boats sinking. That lets us know there could have been four tons of fish. And so here's the deal. Jesus has been in shallow water, and he's been teaching the people from Simon's boat. He's talked to them from shallow water. He turns to Simon and says, now let's go deep. I don't know about you, but I much prefer shallow water over deep in my life. I like situations where I can stand on my own two feet. I've got it. I've got it covered. Deep water is a place where I'm over my head. I don't know how long I can tread, keep myself afloat. And so Simon had a decision to make. Even though he was going to this irrational, uncomfortable place of risky faith, which went against all his experience as a fisherman. An experienced fisherman on the Sea of Galilee knew that you catch the fish in the shallow water. Jesus was saying the exact opposite of his experience. Let's go to the deep water. And so Simon had a decision to make. Will I lean on my own understanding or will I trust that the place where he's leading me is a place for me to be, 
even when it doesn't make sense. And Simon says, yes, Lord. It doesn't make sense. It goes against all my conventional wisdom. But Jesus, we will go out to the deep water. And Simon receives the miracle of a lifetime. You see, the shallow water was to teach the crowd. The deep water was to teach him. The shallow stuff was for everyone else. The deep stuff is when God calls you personally to the place of risky, irrational faith in him. And if you say, yes, Lord, yes, I will go. Yes, I will cast that net again. It is a divine setup. And so maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? Truth be told, I, I feel over my head already. Can I tell you some good news? If you're in over your head, it really doesn't matter whether there's eight feet of water underneath you or 300. Just keep going. Go to the place that God has called you, knowing that he'll be there. And you are far better off in deep water with him than you are without him on your own two feet. Shallow water might be more comfortable, but the fish right now are not in the shallow water. The fish are in the uncomfortable places. And so he throws out his net, and all of a sudden, water that was lifeless and futile, all of a sudden is filled with fish, fish everywhere. It's almost like the fish want to jump into the boat themselves. And in fact, Jesus could have said that. He could have said, fish, go jump into the boat this is the same God who calmed the wind and the waves and they obeyed. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He said, you cast your net. In other words, he wanted Simon to participate in the experience of the miracle. Do you know there are thousands of promises in the scripture? They're available to everyone. They're available to you as a son or daughter. Thousands of promises opportunities that you have to see the power of God in your life, but most of those promises God doesn't put in the palm of your hand. He puts them within reach, which means you have to reach out and grab it. God has a part, but you have a part. And so is he asking you to cast your net again, but this time with him? A little bit more energy, a little bit more effort. And he says, there's fish waiting for you. So much fish that verse 7 is translated. Most translations say that all he could do is signal. Like, he signaled. I wonder if the reason why Simon didn't say a word, because he was speechless because his brain is trying to think of how do I describe four tons of fish coming into my boat, and he couldn't. So the best he could do is just signal or beckon. And I want to ask you, when is the last time that God has stunned you? When is the last time you saw a miracle of a lifetime in your personal circumstance? Our theme this year is getting out of the boat and I believe in the next week or two, the next month, that in his own way, God is calling each of us into the deep. Today, if you tell him in advance, yes, Lord, 
I'll go. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, I will cast my net one more time. I'm telling you, you're putting yourself in a position to be stunned and speechless by the power of God working in your life. And so this morning, if you're discouraged because you feel I've been fishing and fishing and catching nothing, we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray that that discouragement would lift off you, that you'd be encouraged knowing that the God of the universe has his eye on you and that he's going to take the parts of your life that you think are useless and make them useful. I believe that as God says, cast your nets again, some of the things he will speak to you are going to seem like they seem to Simon, that it's going to seem, well, I've been doing that already, or that is pointless, or that's such a small course correction, but listen very carefully to what he tells you. I believe it's going to be specific instruction. You're going to go back with that child. You're going to go back into that situation with your marriage, and doing it with God this time, it's going to be different. There's going to be a miracle.